This is Tailgate May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgi, and I'm back once again to talk about what you care about most in the world of college sports. It's February, and that means we're talking hoops, hoops, and more hoops. This will serve as your weekend hoops preview. But before we get into my big game of the week, I want to get into a couple larger subjects. I'm going to shout out one player in the state of Indiana that we need to talk about for what he's accomplishing. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't have a team that's in contention for the national championship this year, I'm going to tell you the team that you should root for if you love college basketball. But before we get to that, just a reminder, you can find the show on Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. Wherever you find your podcast, you can find this show. If you like the show, if you like what we're doing here, I'd love it if you subscribe, leave us a review, leave us a five-star rating. Really helps out the show a lot, and I'd appreciate that. Also, share it with a friend. If you like what you hear, share it with a friend. Share it with a family member. Share it with somebody else who loves college sports the way you do. I'd appreciate that as well. Okay, let's get right into this thing then. We did a lot of Indiana-Purdue talk earlier this week following Indiana's big win over its in-state rival at Assembly Hall. Well, now I'm going to do a little bit more because we need to shout out Trace Jackson Davis as he became the first ever player in the illustrious history of Indiana Hoosiers basketball to ever score 2,000 points and grab 1,000 rebounds in his career. He scored his 2,000th point in Tuesday's win over Rutgers. And he now sits alone in sixth place all time in career scoring at Indiana. The next man up on that scoring list is, ironically, his head coach, Mike Woodson, who's sitting there at 2,061 career points all time. And I just want to take this time to shout out Trace Jackson Davis and the unbelievable season that he is having. If it wasn't for Zach Eady at Purdue... Everybody would be talking about this man as the national player of the year, and I don't think he would be particularly close. He has been incredible this year, and the thing that has impressed me so much about Trace Jackson Davis is that as things have heated up, as the competition has gotten tougher, he has gotten even better himself. Over the last 11 games, the start of this calendar year, 2023, he is averaging 23 points, 14 rebounds, four assists, and 3.4 blocks per game, almost three and a half blocks per game. He has stepped up and taken his game to a new level and breaking, hitting those career marks, hitting those barriers, becoming the first ever player with 2,000 points and 1,000 rebounds in the history of Indiana basketball is the type of thing that we need to celebrate. I feel like we're so quick to say, College basketball has changed so much. It's not the same as it used to be. And, you know, I say that myself. I'm actually going to talk about that a little bit more in some ways. In some ways, I think that we can kind of get back to some of the the good things about college basketball that, that I do miss. But so many people talk about how, you know, players just don't stick around long enough. They're not recognizable. They're not faces of the program like they used to be. We're not seeing these career records fall because, quite frankly, players are not around long enough. And Trace Jackson Davis is a guy who is now, he's a senior. He's in his fourth year at Indiana. He's a four-year guy who is from Indiana, went to play for the home state school, 
and stayed four years. And that's what everybody says they miss about college basketball. So let's enjoy Trace Jackson Davis while we have him. This is a guy who we've seen grow and develop as a player over these four years. This is what we all say that we miss about college basketball. So while we have guys like Trace Jackson Davis, let's enjoy it, let's celebrate him, and let's see how high he can climb on that all-time Indiana scoring list. It's a fun storyline to watch. I don't want to get into quite yet where does he rank all-time in the history of Indiana basketball players because I still think there's a lot to be determined there. He still has several conference regular season games left, a conference tournament, the NCAA tournament, and at Indiana, so much of your legacy is determined by what you do in the NCAA tournament. This is, again, Indiana we're talking about here, one of the blue bloods of the sport where really the goal every year is to win a national championship. Now, they haven't been there in quite some time, but that is still kind of the expectation of how you are measured at Indiana. So I want to hold off on really making any definitive statements about his legacy and what he's accomplished and where what his place is in the history of that program until we're fully done with this season. But at that point, I would love to dive into that because Trace Jackson Davis is clearly up there uh, statistically. I think he's meant a ton to this team. And as this Mike Woodson era is getting underway, you know, we'll kind of see how everything shakes out with that and if he can really kickstart something here. But this season looks like it's it's going to be a good one. They made the tournament in his first year, you know, something Archie Miller only did. Well, actually, Mar- Archie Miller didn't do at all. They probably would have made the tournament in 2020 when it was canceled. Maybe they were kind of a, they were a bubble team. So something Archie Miller never did while he, while he was at Indiana, Mike Woodson did last year. He is an all-time great player in the program. He has them headed toward the tournament this year. And maybe we'll look back at this and say Trace Jackson Davis was the guy who stuck around when Mike Woodson came, stabilized that program, and then depending how they do in the tournament this year, led them back where they want to be. Maybe it's to a Sweet 16, maybe an Elite Eight, maybe even a Final Four, because I think Trace Jackson Davis is just that dominant where he could take over an NCAA tournament. You know, he's not a guard, but Kemba Walker style, you know, the big man version of Kemba Walker style, that could be Trace Jackson Davis the way he's playing right now. So a big shout out to Trace Jackson Davis. Let's celebrate him. Let's watch him and let's enjoy let's enjoy him while we have him. All right, I just told you that we need to celebrate Trace Jackson Davis, enjoy him while we have him, not complain about about how college basketball used to be and kind of enjoy guys like him. Well, now I'm going to tell you why if you love how college basketball was played in the early 2000s, if you at some times find the modern day college basketball a little bit boring, a little bit slow, a little bit lacking, you should be rooting for Alabama to win the national championship this year. And if you go back to the early 2000s, which I think late 90s, early 2000s are is some of the best years of college basketball, in my opinion. The style of play, that was fantastic then. And, you know, I, I wanted to quantify this a little bit because sometimes it feels like when you think about how things used to be, it can be very 
it, your, your brain can trick you, right? What you grew up with, what you watched as a kid sometimes seems better than what's happening in current day form. So in my mind, when I think about the late 90s, early 2000s in college basketball, I think of teams getting up and down the floor, running, uh, running gun tempo, high tempo games, and just a lot of fun. And so I went back and I looked at the 2002 through 2005, the national champions in those years, and what their tempos were. So in 2002, Maryland had an adjusted tempo of 73.7 possessions. Syracuse, the next year, 71. UConn, 68.2. And then 2005, North Carolina, 73.1. Maryland was 15th in 2002. Syracuse, 32nd. UConn, 75th. And North Carolina, 7th. So over that four-year period, UConn was the only team outside of the top 35 as far as tempo goes, but they were still inside the top 100. That year that Maryland went to the Final Four and won the national championship, 2002, their Final Four game was against Kansas, who had an adjusted tempo of 77.3 possessions, good for a third in the country. And that game, to be honest, was really, it felt like the national championship. It felt like a a really high-quality game between the two best teams in the country, or the best two remaining teams in the country, because Duke had been knocked out in the Sweet 16. I think there's a good argument to be made that they were the second-best team in the country that year. Uh, I think it was Maryland, Kansas, and Duke were the top three, kind of without a doubt. But that game was a game between two really good teams with great athletes who got up and down the court. And over recent years, we have seen a slowing of college basketball. It has, it's slowed down. Um, Coaches have, for coaching perspective, when the game is slower, they have more control. It allows you to potentially beat more talented teams. So, again, I wanted to quantify this. So I looked since 2015, and I chose 2015 very specifically because that was the year Wisconsin beat that great Kentucky team in the Final Four. And that Wisconsin team had a tempo of 58.7 possessions per game, good for 345th out of 300. Uh, I'm not sure how many teams were in the country then. Now there are 363 Division I teams, a few less back then. Either way, they are in the bottom, bottom in terms of how fast they played. Um, They beat that Kentucky team. And then even that Duke team that beat Wisconsin for the title, they played a lot slower than Duke than many of the Duke teams did, especially the Duke teams 10, 15 years earlier. They were ranked 104th in tempo that year. The next year, Villanova, also a very slow, slow style under Jay Wright, 274th in, in the country. 2017, North Carolina, kind of our shining beacon of light, 40th in the country in tempo, back to Villanova, who was 150th, and then Virginia. 59.4 possessions per game, 353rd in tempo in the country. Baylor in 2021, also a very slow team, 213th. And then last year, Kansas was in the top 75. They were 65th in tempo. So really, since 2015, kind of our shining beacons of light, if you like high-paced, high-tempo, get-up-the-court, running-gun basketball, was North Carolina in 2017 and Kansas in 2022, and those were those teams still were not even in the top 25. North Carolina was 40th, and Kansas was 65th. 
And that's why it was kind of disappointing to me when you had Gonzaga in 2020, when you've had some of these Gonzaga teams, Mark Few has always been about get up and down the court, get in transition. And it was disappointing for me to not see them win a national championship because I love watching those teams. And my point here is, I think a big part of why this has changed is because teams, coaches see the success that teams like Wisconsin have had, teams like UVA have had, teams like Villanova have had. Villanova, very good, efficient offenses, but very slow overall. And what is fun to me, and I think a lot of other people about basketball, is that tempo is getting up and down the court, attacking the basket, not running an offense that you can control for 25 seconds to find the perfect look. We like action. We like aggression. We like an attacking nature. And that's not necessarily what many of these modern day national champions have had. They are very good at controlling the clock, controlling the game, using time, and scoring when they need to score. They are they can score efficiently, but they don't score in a fun way, and they don't score in an entertaining way. And this year, if you look at the three teams right now that have single-digit odds to win the national championship, so you have Houston as the favorite right now at 6.5-1, to one, Purdue at 8-1, to one, and Alabama at 9-1, to one. Alabama is number one in the country in tempo, they 73.6 uh, possessions per game, which is just about the same as that 2002 Maryland team. Now, ironically enough, you'll notice that Maryland was 15th in tempo in 2002. Alabama is number one this year. So overall, tempo is going down. If you look at a, uh, if you look, it's a little hard to compare across uh, across years because back in those days it was a 35 second cl- shot clock. Now we're now we're at the 30-second shot clock. But the you know number, when you just look at that, Alabama's number one at 73.6. Maryland was 15th at 73.7. In 2002, the number one team in terms of tempo was at 79 possessions per game. Um, so when you just compare those two years and the teams at the very top in terms of tempo, uh, they were playing faster back in 2000, back in 2002. So... Anyway, excuse that digression, Alabama is a team that plays much more like those early 2000 teams that so many of us enjoyed watching, and Purdue and Houston are not. Purdue is ranked 334 out of 363 Division I teams. Houston, even worse, 347 out of 363 teams. These are slow-paced teams that play that plodding, controlling style of basketball that has become so popular. And, you know, in any sport, winning, what the national champions do, the teams that perform at the highest level of the sport do, is going to be copied. And if you love that run-and-gun, get-up-and-down-the-court style, you should root for this Alabama team to win the national championship because that's exactly what they do. And... If they win a national title, you will see more and more programs, more and more coaches around the country say, hey, this is something that works. Let's adopt it. Every sport is a copycat sport. 
and college basketball is no different. So if you want to get back to running gun, if you like aggressive offense, if you like attacking offense, if you miss those days, then you should root for the Alabama Crimson Tide to win this year's national championship. Well, Alabama certainly has national title aspirations, and these two teams playing in my game of the week on Saturday do as well, even though they might be looking a little bit on the outside looking in right now. My game of the week is number 21, UConn, traveling to Omaha to take on number 23, Creighton. That's a 2 p.m. Eastern time game on Fox. Ken Palm has this game as Creighton minus two right now. Lines aren't officially out yet, but when those opening lines drop, they're typically within a point of whatever Ken Palm has. So expect it to be somewhere between Creighton minus one to Creighton minus three. And although these although these two teams are, you know, kind of at the bottom of the top 25 as far as the polls go, they're really highly ranked as far as the computers go. UConn, number six team in Ken Palm. Creighton, the number nine team in Ken Palm, but they are number four since the start of this calendar year 2023 in T-Rank. They're riding a seven-game win streak. They're 10-3 and three in conference and only a game out of first place. UConn, on the other hand, they're, they got off to that incredible start, 14-0, but since then, just 5-6, and six, a 19-6 and six record overall. They're 8-6 and six in league play, and they're kind of out of that Big East title picture, but they have won three in a row, and they're looking to regain form as we head into March to see if they can make some noise in the tournament, which is something that they haven't done since Hurley has been there. So what's kind of been the keys for Creighton as they've gone on this win streak, and what's hindered UConn as they've stumbled a bit after that 14-0 start? So for UConn, when they've lost games, it's because their defense has let them down. They've let other teams get to the free throw line a ton. They foul a lot. Providence shot 35 35 free throws against them uh, in a loss. St. John's shot 37 free throws against them in a UConn loss. That's a huge key for UConn is can they defend without fouling? Uh, it's something that they didn't do very well against Creighton the first time around. They did win the game 69 to 60, but Creighton shot 23 free throws in that game. So that'll be an interesting key to watch as, as we look forward to Saturday's game. As far as Creighton goes, what they've done really well during their seven game win streak is they've taken care of the ball. They've shot the ball fantastic from inside the arc. You know, they're a team that takes a ton of threes, but they're really efficient from inside the the arc, and that's in large part because of their big man, 7-1 Ryan Kalkbrenner. He has been the key for this team. He missed a couple games early in the season where they didn't play very well. Uh, He missed a few games as part of their losing streak, and since coming back, he's kind of been the difference for this team. Over the course of Creighton's seven-game win streak, Kalkbrenner's been huge on the offensive end, certainly, averaging just under 16 points a game, but he's also been fantastic defensively, averaging 2.9 blocks per game. And this is a huge part of what has made Creighton so successful and their defense in particular so successful. Unlike UConn, this is a team that doesn't foul a lot at all 
they are second best in the country at limiting teams from getting to the free throw line. And that's in large part because they know if they get beat on the perimeter, they can count on Ryan Kalkbrenner to erase that mistake at the rim. Creighton is a really good defensive team. Traditionally, Creighton's kind of known to be that high-powered offensive team. Defense may be a little bit lacking. Not this year. Not over the course of this winning streak. Creighton is a good defensive team, and that's in large part because of Ryan Kalkbrenner. So these two teams have actually already played once this year. They played at UConn. UConn won the game 69-60 in early January. And I just talked a lot about how good Ryan Kalkbrenner's been on defense. But in that game, it was UConn big man Adama Sanogo who really dominated the game and was a star of the show. He had 26 points in that game. Kalkbrenner picked up four fouls, which is something he doesn't do a lot. And pretty much every time... Sonogo was able to get the ball in position on the block when Kalkbrenner was guarding him. He took him to the basket and he finished. And it was a really impressive performance by Sonogo. And I think, quite frankly, the reason they won that game. Now, it didn't hurt from a UConn perspective that Creighton was very cold from three in that game. Uh, that, that certainly didn't hurt matters. And I expect Creighton to be better this time around because they missed some threes that were, were good looks. They just didn't fall. But what UConn did really well defensively in that game, too, was they had eight blocks themselves. Creighton's Arthur Kaluma had a great game, 14 points, six offensive rebounds. He was getting to the rim, but they UConn as a whole was making life very difficult at the rim for Creighton with those eight blocks. So I think the key to this game this time around will be Ken Kalkbrenner better defense Sonogo, or can Creighton as a whole find a way to make it harder to get the ball in Sonogo's hands, make things more difficult on their guards, make things more difficult on Sonogo. Maybe they do need to bring a double at times, find some other ways to make life difficult for him because they can't allow him to get 26 points again. And then the other question for me in this game is can Arthur Kaluma, uh, can he get some help? Can they find somebody else who can create, get to the lane, and get to the line? We talked a lot already about how UConn has had trouble with fouling. They let Providence get to the line a ton. They let St. John's get to the line a ton. That's been their problem in some of their losses. Now, Creighton's not a team that necessarily, that's not exactly their game. They're not going to thrive on that. That's not, that's not what they're necessarily all about. So can they find somebody else besides Kaluma to get in the lane and get to the free throw line? They're a very balanced team scoring-wise. They have five players in double figures. So can somebody else step up in this game? My hunch is yes. My hunch is that this series flipping to Omaha is going to flip it in favor of the Jayhawks. The Jayhawks will come away with that win. They'll shoot better from the outside at home, and they'll find a way to neutralize Sunogo a little bit more. I have all the faith in the world in Ryan Kalkbrenner uh, to kind of learn from that last game. But this is a really big game for both of these teams, and these are two teams that I think, you know, feel like they can accomplish something in March. This year, just because you lose eight games in the regular season, nine games in the regular season, doesn't mean you can't make a run in the tournament. 
And these are two teams that I would keep an eye out for. So I am very excited to watch this one. I think the winner will have a lot of momentum going the, going forward. And the loser, as long as they can rebound, can rebound, will still have a great shot too. But for Creighton, Creighton has a chance to win a Big East title. That's something that is still important. It's important to this program. And uh, this is a huge game for them. I expect them to get the job job done at home. If it's a, if the line is about Creighton minus two, uh, I'm going to go with, with the Jayhawks at home minus two. Okay, that's one of my bets for Saturday. Before we get out of here today, I want to do a little back to the future. This is the time of week where we look back at some of the future bets that I've already given out on this show look at how they're performing, and take a look at any additional futures that I'm thinking about putting in or have put in over the last week. So let's start off with some of my existing futures I've given out already. We'll start with the ACC because that's where I'm doing quite well. I had UVA at plus 160 as well as Pitt plus 1,200. So that's UVA about 1.5 to 1, Pitt at 12 to 1, and those are two that are looking really good. If you look at the at the odds now, UVA is down to minus 150, heavy favorite to win the league, and Pitt all the way down to plus 350. This is a this is a conference where I'm really liking where I sit. ACC, we've talked about it a lot. Not very good this year. So you have a three-way tie right now at the top of the league. Virginia, Pitt, Clemson all at 10 and 3, Miami at 2 and 4. At 10 and 4. Ken Palm projects Virginia to finish 16 and 4, Pitt to finish 15 and 5. So that's pretty ideal from where I stand right now. I would not touch this league further. And the way I played this was I did, uh, I think I did one and a half units on Pitt and I did, or on UVA and a half unit on Pitt. So really want that Pitt one to come through at, at 12 to 1 obviously, but got to be feeling good, sitting in a good spot there. And the beautiful thing about the way I played this one is that Pitt has actually beaten Virginia this year. So if it comes down to a tiebreaker, Pitt is going to have that tiebreaker over Virginia. They don't play again this season. Loving where I sit in the ACC. The SEC, not loving this at all. I had Tennessee at plus 200. Texas A&M at plus 2,600 or 26 to 1. For some reason right now, the odds are, I can't find updated odds on the SEC. But last week when I looked at it, Tennessee was up to plus 275. A&M was plus 4,000. I expect those odds to be even higher right now because Alabama is is going to win this league. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They're 11 and 0. A&M behind them at 9-2, and two, Tennessee at 8-3, and three, and Tennessee just looks ugly right now. They were winning some ugly games, but now they're also losing some ugly games, losing to Vanderbilt 66-65 on Wednesday night, a game after beating Auburn 46-43. It's their offense right now. Their offense is the problem. And I'm not sure they have many answers for that. You know, I, I said I like Tennessee because I trust their defense and defense was important to me. Well, I, I think at some point you got to score. Tennessee doesn't seem like they're able to do it right now. Uh, I would not touch the SEC any further. Alabama is going to be the heavy favorite to win that league as they should be. And they, I think they will win that league. Moving on to the Big East. That's the last conference future that I have out there. I got Providence at plus 1400. 
It's now Providence plus 1,500. So it's moved a little bit. You know, I don't hate where I stand right now with this one. Xavier in first place in the league at 11 and 2, Marquette at 11 and 3, Creighton at 10 and 3, and then Providence right there at 10 and 3 as well. And Providence has been a fantastic home team. I think they have one of the best players in the league in Bryce Hopkins. He's been playing extremely well. They are beating the teams that they're supposed to be getting the Xavier win on the road would have been huge. They lost that game in overtime, but you look at their upcoming schedule. Okay. They have St. John's on the road. They have Creighton tough game, but at home Villanova at home, UConn away, which will be tough. Georgetown away should be a win. And then Xavier and Seton hall at home. So they have four home games, the three road games, And their toughest games, Creighton and Xavier, and the most important games when it comes to the championship race, are at home. The UConn game on the road, no question. That's a tough one. That's one I would expect them to lose. But you know what? Sitting at at 14 to 1 there, they still got a puncher's chance. And I think that's all you can ask for at this point. Would not play the Big East any further. Uh, Last bet that we've talked about that I've already put in is UCLA plus 1,500, 15 to 1 to win the national championship. They're still at 15 to 1. Not much of an update here. UCLA has kind of, you know, hung steady since losing a couple games a few weeks ago to USC and to Arizona. You know, they're still number three in Ken Palm. They're still in a, a position to potentially get a, a number one seed, a two seed. I think they'll be right there come tournament time, but I don't think we've really learned that much new about UCLA. So just holding on to that ticket as well. Not really looking at any other future national championship bets at the moment. The one new bet that I have added this week is Kansas State at plus 750 to win the Big 12. So this Big 12 is a jumbled mess of really, really good teams. You have Texas leading the league at eight and three, and then Kansas State, Iowa State, Kansas, and Baylor all right behind them, a game behind them at seven and four. And this bet is really just a math bet. I cannot, for the life of me, differentiate the teams in this league. I think they're all very good. I think all four of those teams are among the top 12 to 16 teams in the country. And if you're going to give me Kansas State at seven and a half to one. That's the highest odds of all five of those teams. I'm going to jump on it. I think it's just the math play. They have the easiest schedule remaining in the conference. I didn't think they played too bad against Texas. They did have 19 turnovers, which really hurt them. But overall, I didn't think they were too bad in that game outside of the turnovers. I still like them. I I just think with the schedule, with the odds, uh, give me a half unit on Kansas State there at plus 750 to win the Big 12. That's our show for today. Looking forward to all the games this weekend. I will be back again on Sunday to break down all the action from a big weekend of college hoops. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.